uh, go up a little bit, I'll be able to see you a little bit. It's, uh, my name's Glenn, and I have the joy of pastoring the Willapot Church South, and um, i got some things to share with you this morning. Our series is in Mark, um, and uh, I've been praying through this sermon now for a couple of weeks, and then this morning I got up as my normal routine at about, well, I, was, I was up early this morning, but, um, and as I'm praying and I'm thinking through this morning's message, I really felt strong conviction and guidance just to share from a pastor's heart what is going on inside my mind uh, when it comes to the church and in relation to what this scripture guides us in. And uh, I just want to kind of just open up a little bit as to, uh, as to where I feel and what God is saying to me, uh, having been here now almost six years to the uh, to the weekend almost, um, I want to, I just want to kind of impart a few thoughts. This is a little bit like me cracking up my journal and, uh, and sharing with you. And one of the challenges uh, in doing that is that uh, it can be a little disjointed. I've not necessarily got one point after another. This is a bit, a bit like a, uh, me painting a, an oil painting, hopefully, and you might just find one little bit that fascinates you and you want to center in on and, and think about and consider. Um, and so uh, I, I, want, I really want to be sensitive to the Spirit as we, uh, as we go through what He has for us this morning. Uh, before we do that, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that I have to be able to speak, to share, and to, Lord, to uh, guide, I hope, pray, Lord, and hope and pray these good people into your presence. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would just give me the words to say, but Lord, more than that, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words and you would plant them deep into these hearts, and that, Lord, that you would see fruit, that Lord there would be fruit, that God that you would change your church and move your church on. I ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I became a Christian uh, or very committed to being a Christian, I guess, when I was about 18. And, and if I think back as to why I did that, I think quite simply I can say this. I became a Christian because I believed and still believe that Christianity in Jesus works. He works. He transforms, changes, invigorates, turns around lives. I think about where I was at as a 17, 18-year-old young man who was living a little bit of a lie. My mum and dad were Christians, and my dad was actually an elder in the church. Um, I I was running hard. I don't know what from, but with everything that was connected to being that age. And then God broke into my life in such a way that it really wasn't too much of a, uh, um, a transformation over weeks and months, although I could argue that he'd been building up to this point over the years. But it was a very quick, quite dynamic, still kind of resonates within me conversion experience. And, and um, Jesus changed my life. He changes and transforms lives. And then I look at my journey. I'm 44 years old now. And so from that time to now, and I think about all the things that he has done and all the places he has guided us to and changed, 
I, I have to say, he's still in the business of transforming my life. He, he is still in the business of taking me from where I was at to where he wants me to be internally, externally, across my life. There are times when I know that I've been really close to him. There have been times when I feel like I've done a bit of a prodigal and drifted away. And then I've come back and I felt close. And it's almost like there's just different heart places and and different changes that are going on. And, And maybe you can resonate with that. But at the end of the day, church, Jesus transforms and changes lives. Otherwise, and I say this reverently, and I'm going to say a few things this morning that you might go, I need to think about that, and I'm okay with, with leaving that with you, but if Jesus is not about changing and transforming lives, what is the point of what we are doing? Because look around the room just for a second. We have a church of a nearly 300 people in the south. There is not 300 people here this morning. Are we about filling this room? Is that what church is about? No, it's not. Because if I lean my heart into that, then what I find is, is that I can almost sell my soul to just filling a room. And and I read the scriptures and the Bible tells me clearly that success when it comes to church is transformed lives, not full rooms. Although, this room should be more full with people who are having their lives transformed. But that is not the end goal. I've just been to a conference and and I've sat through some great ministry. And one of the things that I have noticed is that they tend to ask people to speak who've got churches of 4,000 plus. Because in our Western mindset, we think that means that they're doing something right. And then I read the scriptures, I read history, I read... I read the story of God in his church and I find that God just seems to move in churches that are small, in big, in houses with two little old ladies in the, in the Hebridean revival. It was just those two. One was blind and the other one was crippled. God moves in a myriad of different ways. So what is it that God is actually about? What is he most interested in? Ultimately, is uh, him to uh, be glorified because we get great joy in that. But ultimately, he's here to transform lives. And so I want to ask us a couple of questions this morning as we, as we jump into some scripture. And it's not a question, my first question is not a question I've come up with. It's actually a very biblical question. You'll find it in Revelation, and it, and it doesn't come over as a question, but it certainly causes me to question and it's this it's this Jesus actually says that you to the church one of the churches he was talking to is is this you have you've forsaken your first love other versions say you've forgotten your first love Christians in the room just pause just for a second and remember remember those days when you first became a Christian Remember those days when Jesus slammed into your heart so hard that your soul was transformed, your spirit was regenerated, and you thought the world is a different, a new place. Do you remember those days? Do you remember those, that first love? Because I think we forget. I think we get into routine. I think that 
we forget that church and Jesus and Christianity is about life transformed, that it works, that he changes us. And then the next question I'd want to ask is if we have forgotten for ourselves, have we perhaps forgotten that Jesus is in the business of transforming cities and countries? I heard a testimony over the last week of, of the story of Bogota in Colombia. You cannot find probably a more violent part of the world than Colombia because of the issues of drugs there. But you go back 20, 25 years, you'll find that the evangelical Christians numbered around about 25,000, 25 to 35,000. It's very difficult to know for sure, but that's where it's at. Now, today, they're into the 30 to 40 million Christians. You think about the Chinese church. I had a, a wonderful time over Christmas. Sarah and I were invited to our our, our lovely uh, Chinese community group and the food was amazing and, and we just sat and, and our conversation turned to the church in China. My, my view of what was happening in China is so different from what is actually the reality. But I tell you that there are thousands and millions of people becoming Christians in China. And you can look across the world and you will find that Christianity Jesus transforms lives. I've told you the stories before of the country that I lived in for many years in Wales where, where people's lives were transformed. Jesus is about transforming lives where people would go to get drunk in the pubs and they would get their first pint and they would be so convicted of their sin that they would start weeping, leave the pubs and go and look for ministers and preachers of the gospel. It's revival, as we would call it. Jesus transforms lives. Do we believe that for our city? Do we believe that for our city? That this city can be reached? So listen to my statement I'm about to say. Listen very carefully. I wish I had it on the board. I I wrote this down this morning. We do not have to reach the world for Christ. Listen to what I'm saying. We do not have to reach the world for Christ. He is ready to reach the world through us. See, we, it's not my, see, if I believe that what I do as a pastor in this church, my ability to preach, my ability to lead, my ability to envision and empower and strategize, my effort, my Uh, skill, my talent, my accent, my whatever, my positioning, how much uh, social justice I do. If I I believe that all that is going to reach the world, then I'm, I'm believing a lie because it's not me that reaches the world. I cannot do it. If we believe that we are going to reach the world, it will result in programs, activity, effort, hard work, and then guilt when it doesn't work. But if we believe that he is ready to reach the world through us, then what that results in is not a focused effort on programs and strategy and talent and effort and do more, let's go out. And I have to tell you, my natural proclivity as a character and personality is to be that. Let's drive and drive and drive and drive and drive. Let's push and push and push. Let's be creative. And you've seen, many of you know me, you know, let's, let's, be, let's make this place look good, sound good, be good. 
That's believing that we are going to reach the world. And what that does is it fills rooms and creates crowds. But does it transform lives? But if we believe that Jesus is ready to reach the world through us, then that's very different. What that means is what we focus on now is what they focused on in Acts chapter 6, which is prayer and ministry of the word. Do you remember that story when they were saying that that the apostles said we need somebody to serve on tables because we want to be focused on ministry and prayer? That is the calling of the church because what that results in is us dwelling in Jesus and seeking him out. And then he will grow the church. Not me. He will grow the church. And I think we may have forgotten that. I think I may have forgotten that. That inside of us, friends, listen, Christians, friends, inside of us, we have a hope that cannot be found in the world. We have it right in us. Life transformed, lives transformed, families transformed, abusive relationships healed, addictions changed, homelessness eradicated, children fostered and adopted, babies cared for, not killed, narcissism and seeking of popularity by our world leaders changed. We have that hope. In Ephesians 1 and verse 18, Paul says this. This is the Apostle Paul with his apostolic cape flapping in the wind. Superman Paul says this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This verse, it's an amazing chapter, this Ephesians chapter 1. Because what Paul does is he thanks the church for existing. Thank you for being you. Then he moves into what is called the, one of the pastoral prayers. And there's a few pastoral prayers in the different letters. And, and these are fascinating prayers. If you just go on Google and go Paul's pastoral prayers, you'll get a list of them. I encourage you to read them. And there is a connection to this in Mark, and I'm getting there. But what Paul is doing here, this is Paul who was stoned to death and then was resurrected, who had uh, snakes bite him and, and, and he was beaten and he was imprisoned and he had saw miracles. And, and this is Paul. This is, this is the apostle. He, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Arguably the greatest revelation given to man was given to Paul. And yet he gets so desperate, friends, that he prays, God, change their hearts. I can't do it. That you might have your hearts enlightened. That you, Willow Park Church South, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you were saved so that you could be so filled with hope that you go into our broken world and they see Jesus in you. They hear Jesus in your words. They observe Jesus in your responses and reactions. That you are so markedly different that there is a leaning in and a fascination so that when you open your when you open your mouth, when you actually speak truth and stand up for truth, 
that they will see the hope that they do not have evident in your life and in your eyes and in your words and in your actions, in your parenting, in your business and in how you how you uh, organize your life, what decisions you make, they will see it. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? You know what? If God would answer that prayer of mine for this church, if God would answer that prayer of mine for this church, our city would be changed. Because there is enough Holy Spirit in this room to see lives transformed through you, not by you. That you may know, Father, that we might know what it is that we have been called to. In Proverbs 4.23 it says, Above all else, guard your heart. There's that word again that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we might know what is the hope to which we have called and all the glorious riches of His grace. And then Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart from everything you do flows from it. That's very simply obvious in, in teaching and that what it is that is in here, what you believe in, what you're passionate about, if it's money, if it's parenting, if it's being successful, if it's being ambitious, maybe it's even godly stuff. Maybe you want to see uh, social justice, you want to see good things, you want to see hunger eradicate. Whatever your passion is in your heart is where your life will flow. And you read the Bible, the scripture says this, all those things are good but not good enough. They are not going to transform the world What is going to transform the world is a group of Christians that so believe that they have the answer, that so believe that Jesus Christ lives in them, that will change the world. So why do I pastor? (laughs) I ask that most weeks, most days, this morning. Why am I doing this? Not in a negative way, but as a reminder that my calling, my role in this church is to do everything I can To equip you, yes, that's what the scripture says. But more than that, is to point you to a God that is powerful enough, alive enough, significant enough to see your life transformed and the lives of those that you rub shoulders with and more. That's my job. When we come to communion and the Lord's Supper and one of the scriptures that we use in First Corinthians is that it says to examine yourself. Examine yourself. So here's what I want to invite you to do alongside me as, as your pastor. is I want you to look in the mirror, to examine yourself, to consider a very simple and yet profoundly important aspect of your walk. And it's this. Where's your heart? Where is, where is your heart this morning? Where is your heart? In Mark chapter 4 and verse 1 through to 9, Jesus is teaching and he says this again. He began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. So they got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. 
and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell onto the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him here. Here's just some general observations in alignment with my question, where is your heart this morning? Do you really believe that Jesus transforms lives? Is there enough in you to see life transformed out there? Absolutely yes, because if you're a Christian, then Jesus is in you. So, the, so here's just some general observations. The first thing I want you to notice, and nothing's going to appear on the screen because this came to me this morning, is the sower does not make the seed. It's provided to him. We have been given the seed, the word of God, the message of reconciliation, the gospel. You've been given that. You don't have to do anything. That's good to know because sometimes we, we get concerned. Well, I don't know whether I have, I don't know if I'm skilled enough. I don't know if I have enough. I'm not, I, you, you just, the seed's given to you. He also doesn't, uh, he doesn't choose where to sow. If you look at farming at that point in the Eastern, uh, in, in the Eastern culture, they didn't have big fields. Literally, they just had little strips and patches of land. And so, so the, the farmer wouldn't like delicately just throw it into the good. So he would literally throw it everywhere. We know that because put, the, Jesus said, well, some goes on the road and some goes on the path and some goes into good ground. So he's just throwing it everywhere. Friends, listen, not only has the seed been given to you, you don't get to choose where that seed goes. If you are, and I know I'm saying this because I, I love the coldest night. It's wonderful. Thank you, Wendy, for championing that. But if your only focus is the poor, you are not sowing the seed everywhere. If your only focus is your family, if your only focus is your children, if your only focus is the youth or whatever, we're called to sow the seed wherever we go, to whomever. Because the wonderful thing is, you don't know what hearts are ready to receive it. That's not your problem. You're just called to be faithful. But we are called to sow. We're not called to keep all the seeds deep in our pockets. Well, what might they say if I throw some seed at them? They might not like me very much. Just chuck the seed, dude. Let's just see what happens. Leave it to God. You are not accountable to what grows and what doesn't. But the thing that I do know not as a great gardener or farmer. You see, you need to get a big handful of seed in order to sow effectively. He had lots of seed. Do you have enough of the Word of God, enough fascination of the Gospel, enough connection, enough filling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis that you have so much seed that everywhere you go, it just naturally sprays everywhere? 
Or is your amount of seed, the amount of the Word of God, the amount of connection, the amount of the gospel, because you've forgotten what it is actually why you woke up this morning. You've forgotten that you've been placed on this earth to share, to be Jesus, that you've actually got nothing to sow. Like, I, I literally have nothing to give. See, our desire to sow is connected directly to the state of our hearts. And the hearts that we are shown here, the, the first, the hard heart, in verse 15, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown and where they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Let me lovingly ask you a question. Is your heart, is your heart hard this morning? And I guess that puts us into two, and I need to be careful how I say this, two categories. There's the Christian who has the hard heart, and there's somebody who doesn't know Jesus who has the hard heart. They do everything they can to resist. They're running, they're critical, they don't care. I, I'm just mindful this morning of the Christians where you've hardened off. But when the seed hits you, it doesn't go in you. It just bounces, it lays there, and then the distractions of the world come and there's lots of distractions everything from our mobile devices to our workplace our parenting good things they just get taken away and and the gospel has not changed you but maybe if i do a decent job of inspiring you today if you have a hard heart you might go right tomorrow morning i'm going to get up and i'm going to pray but by tomorrow morning comes along it's been snatched away and it just doesn't happen it's so easy and then I get encouragement because I go into Ephesians chapter 1 and, and if Paul is praying God change their heart my position as a pastor must also be praying God change your hearts change the hearts of those that are away today change the hearts of those who are connected to the south who just have got hard hearts and I'm not judging because I don't know there are some signs of a hard heart for sure but is that your heart this morning? It just kind of got hard that you have forgotten that the gospel doesn't thrill you anymore? When we stand and we sing these beautiful words that just doesn't do anything? Can I encourage you that there are times as Christians where I think we have each of these heart states? Depending on what's going on, Today, you may have a hard heart, but a few months ago, maybe your heart was not that way. I'm so grateful that Paul prayed, changed their hearts. I can pray, Father, soften the hearts of those that hear this word. Then we've got the shallow heart or the rocky heart. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. These are the ones that go, yeah, I'm with you, Glenn. Let's do it. And then a few months later, are they still here? Well, they got a bit upset by what something you said, so they've gone somewhere else. And you know, and I can be confident that they will go somewhere else after a while. There's a shallowness. They have no root, verse 17 says, in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You see, the gospel is challenging. The gospel is challenging. We are a gospel-centered church. People don't like to hear that there is sin in the world. 
that there are consequences to that sin. And the sin doesn't work. It results in brokenness. And yet we as Christians have an answer and his name is Jesus on the cross. And you will get, listen, for those of you who are like, ah, science, what about science? Let me just tell you, this just popped into my brain, so I'm going to be obedient. You will find some of the greatest minds in this world who believe in Jesus Christ. So it's, this, is, this is far more than just apologetics and trying to prove Jesus. This is the reality of what's working right now. Because I turn on the TV, in the mornings I put BBC News on, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what's he said now? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh gosh. You know, it's not working. This works. This transforms lives. I've seen it. Not enough, but I've seen it. See, the gospel is challenging. It, it involves examination. It involves confession and, and discipleship. How do you know if you have a shallow heart? Verse 17, it says this. If you, if you fall away when tribulation and persecution, when life is tough, if people fall away, then it's a shallowness of heart. Is that where you're at this morning that you are connected in when life is good and then you isolate when life is tough then he says the choked heart verse 18 the others are the ones sown among the thorns friends if there was ever a heart that if you want to know where Kelowna is in terms of the church it's this one this is this is Kelowna church the others are the ones sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is good soil. Have you noticed that? How do I know? Because stuff grows. This is good soil, but it's choked. The word is crowded out. Verse 19 says, The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of money and things. And I asked this week again, Lord, what is it that, what is it that chokes in Kelowna? And he said three things to me. Money, children, leisure. Those three things choke the word. None of them are bad things. <laughs> But they choke the word. Worries about money, chasing after money, the deceitfulness of money. Worry about children, chasing after children, literally. Worshipping children. And I have four, so I'm not, you know, I've got nothing against any of this. I'm just saying if they choke the word, and then leisure. What do people say? They come to Kelowna because, you know, there's so much to do and then it's beautiful, it's wonderful. But if it chokes the word, then what is perhaps one of the most frightening things for a Christian to consider are these two words here. Proves unfruitful. I, uh, my life in the week contrary to what some may believe um, is I spend a chunk of my week in prayer and preparation uh, it's prayer preparation people that's what my life looks like and I wish 
In one way, I wish that I could stand here and share just from this week some of the conversations I've had with people. Can I tell you? The church is no different in its issues and problems than the world. No different. Same level of adultery. Same level of addiction. Some would argue that there's much more in the church. The word has been choked. And successful business, beautiful family, leisure-filled life does not result in fruitfulness. It, it doesn't. But sometimes I come home, and it happened just a week before last, I come home and I hold my wife, and I say, I'm so thankful for you. Because I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for what he's doing. Because I tell you, it's hard to hear the stories of successful people in this city who are so broken and so lost and so unfruitful. Because the word in their life, and these are Christians, has been choked out by somehow the deceitfulness. This is how the deceitfulness plays out in Kelowna. There's a con to think that if we do a great job in our life, then somehow everything's going to be fine. So if we just focus our energy on being successful or all our energy on our children or all our energy on giving them a good time or having a good time, somehow then the, the, the fruitfulness of life will be given to us. And it, it doesn't work. It's hard. Because while we want something else more than God, we will never have the fullness of God himself. While we want something else more than God, we will never have the fullness of God. And so here's the good news. The good heart. Look at this, verse 20. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. They accept it. What that means is, I'm, if it says it, I'm going to do it. It's good enough for me. And they bear fruit. Not just any old fruit, but 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So I did some research. An 8-to-1 return for a farmer is a phenomenal year. 8-to-1. 10-to-1 is unbelievable. It's in the realms of impossible. 10-to-1 return. 30, 60, 100-to-1 is supernatural. It's supernatural. And this is, this is what Jesus' promise is for us, is that you will bear fruit supernaturally in two areas. You will bear fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control will be yours in abundance. Your life will be filled with them. That's the fruit of having the Word sown in good soil. Sounds good to me. That's yours. That's your fruit. You can have that in Christ as we come to Him and we confess our sin and we come even as Christians and we say, Lord, my heart is hard. Break up the ground. I want to bear fruit for you. As we come and we recognize that we have the hope for the city, that, Lord, we confess, God, I've forgotten my first love. My first love has become my business. My first love has become this. My first love is that. It is no longer you, Lord. Forgive me. As we come, His promise is that you will bear fruit. 
It comes naturally. You don't have to work at it. It just emerges. Now there is discipline. That's different. We work out our salvation in fear and trembling, not for our salvation. It's very different. But the work and the discipline, it results because we, we, this word comes into our hearts and, there are, and we definitely have to put time aside to cultivate it and look after the seed and just like a farmer would, but the fruit of the Spirit. And then there's another fruit, the fruit of the gospel. There's fruit of the Spirit, there's fruit of the gospel. Let me, let me say something challenging. Challenge me. People who really love Jesus really want other people to know him. People who really love Jesus really want other people to know him. So here's a question. This is a good community group question if you, if you wanted to. This is a question that will force you to your knees, I, I hope. That if there is good soil and the word is being sown and it's, and it's rich and it's fruitful, then you will produce fruit of the Spirit, but you'll also produce fruit of the gospel. So therefore, the question of whether or not we have good soil is answered r- around this. Who is coming to the kingdom as a result of our witness? Who is coming to the kingdom as the result of the fruit of the gospel that is, that is produced naturally in our lives as we position ourselves to hear more from him, confess and receive from him? Who, who is it in our lives that is coming to the kingdom as a result of our witness? How is my life impacting others? Not just in social ways, not just how am I impacting the, the people who need material things or material help or guidance or counseling, but how is my life actually impacting people in spiritual ways? Because if we really believe what we say we believe, then truly, surely that's the most important. So I come to the end of this scripture, and, and as I draw this to a close, because there's so much more I could share... Let me remind you of a couple of things. The seed is not yours. It's a gift to you. The effectiveness of the seed and the hope that is in you is not up to you. It's just given to you. Leave that to God. The fruit of the seed is available to you. 30, 60, 100 fold. The promise is deep. The promise is beautiful. So... The question then for us to finish on is this. If we truly believe that we have hope and transformational Jesus in us, and I know many of you do, then how do we get from being hard-hearted or rocky-hearted or even kind of choked to good soil? How, how do we get... Can I tell you, it's not a program. I shudder at the thought. I don't want another program. I've got programs coming out of my ears. I just don't want another program. Let's not do another weekend. We, the ones that we have are wonderful. You should do them. But we don't need another one. What we need is some self-examination. Some honesty and confession. Confession. I will give you a written guarantee if you want one. 
That's already been done. A bit cheesy, but it's true. I'll give you a written guarantee that if today, if his people who are called by his name would confess and cry out, then his promise is, is that he will heal you, he says in Second Chronicles, and our land. He will heal you and he will heal our land. That's his promise. That if my people, his people, us, you, me, would confess and come to him. And the Bible says that he wants to hear from his kids that he is always faithful to forgive. He is always faithful in honoring his word. If my people, who are called by my name. Now I know by experience that that kind of confession... That kind of life change rarely happens in church. What happens is it gets initiated in church. Where it really happens is you, by yourself, somewhere, with your Bible or journal, whatever it looks like. You're switching off your phone, closing your eyes, saying, Lord, forgive me. That's what I did this week. Because I love to strategize. I love to program. I love to design cool logos. (laughs) And I can get lost in that. Whereas what God seems to love is his people coming to him and praying and being real. And and so today, now, what I'm going to ask the team to do, and I don't know what Josh has got planned I prayed this morning, Lord, however many come this morning, Lord, I want those that are ready to hear this word. And so I'm believing in faith that you're it. (laughs) And it only takes one or two of us. So let's pray as Josh leads us. Maybe for the first time you just need to say, Lord, I am sorry. Forgive me for the hardness of my heart. Dear Lord, I I pray that as I have sown this word this morning, that Lord really is just your scripture. Lord, I pray that as per your promise, that that seed will bear fruit. And that Lord, it will find hearts that are ready to receive it. That those ears that are ready to hear it, Lord, will have heard it. But Lord, I pray even in the process of this song and as spending time just a few minutes now, that Lord, that you will be breaking up hard ground. And God, I echo the prayer of the Apostle Paul that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened that we might know, not just know about, but know the hope, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the hope. Lord, let us be a church that knows. Enlightened hearts, Lord, I pray. Hallelujah. You know, maybe... Just as we got our eyes closed, maybe there's some in the room that 
You just know your heart is hard. And you've tried different things. You've read the book that's been recommended to you. You've listened to the podcast. You've been to the retreat. You've journaled. You've done everything you can think of. Because you know that your heart is hard. You know that you've got a shallow heart, wherever it might be. So the word of the Lord to you this morning. It is He that breaks up the ground. He is the one that removes the rocks. He is the one that prepares you well. So my encouragement is just, even now as you hear my words, is to say, Lord, I do not know what else to do. Lord, I believe your word. I believe this truth. Forgive me for chasing after those things that ultimately do me no good, that are unfruitful. Father, forgive me. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, that you died. And all my sin with it. You give new life. Thank you, Jesus.